0: We started to study this passage, and I said in the beginning that the Lord wants us to offer to Him our bodies in verse 1. You remember that? He wants us to offer to Him our minds as an offering, a spiritual offering, a living sacrifice, our minds in verse 2. And then He wants us to offer to Him our gifts. If you're saved, when you were saved, one of the things the Lord did was He gifted you. To be able to serve within the body, to benefit the, the body, which is the church. That's verses 3 through 8. So today we, we take a look at that. We want to give to the Lord our gifts. Serve the Lord with our gifts. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this passage that's ahead of us today. There's a lot uh, to be said here and a lot that could be said. I pray, Father, that you'd help me to stick to the things that are most helpful today. Uh, And that we might, uh, Lord, just look at the sense of this passage and understand its meaning. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to discover what our gifting is. And uh, Lord, I know that we're not supposed to pray for a gift. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us to do that. But uh, we have a gift if we're saved. And I pray, Father, that you'd show us what that is. Show us how we can use that within the church to serve you and to benefit the church and Father, uh, Lord, that we might be able to offer up our lives to you as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to you. And we thank you, God. We know it's only because of Christ. It's only because of his shed blood on Calvary and his sacrifice when he gave his body and his soul as a sacrifice uh, to pay for our redemption, uh, that that our our sacrifice now is, uh, is acceptable to you. So, Lord, we pray that you bless now your word to the hearers This morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we we studied the dedication of verses one and two. Really, that has to do with commitment or, you know, with consecration, with dedicating our lives to the Lord. That was verses one and two, a self dedication. Now we're going to look at the diversity of the gifts within the body. We all have the same commitment to give to the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. Brother, that's my commitment as well as yours. Sister, that's my commitment. Just like you have the same commitment to give your body to the Lord, present it to the Lord as a living sacrifice, and allow Him to use your life. That means that we love the Lord with all of, of, of what it means to be John Westover. Or what it means to be Keith White. We love the Lord with all of that. And serve Him. And and allow our minds to be transformed by the transforming power of the ministry of the Word of God. We have the same commitment. But, that's the flip side, right? But, the will of God from one Christian to another is different. Verses 3-8. through So we don't all have the same gifting, or the same callings, or the same ministry. It's, it's a variety. God loves variety. If you didn't know that, I was talking to the kids when we were down there at uh, Pensacola Beach. You know, We stayed in a hotel. Beth's brother was so kind to put us up in a hotel right down on the beach. It was really a nice place. You had your own private beach spot. He put us up there for five days. God bless him. I love my brother-in-law. But uh, it was nice. And we'd go down, we'd eat breakfast in the morning, and have these big windows, you know, overlooking the beach, and eat our breakfast there, you know, and had a free continental breakfast and enjoying that. And we'd go out and play on the beach. It was really relaxing. Uh, at night, we would go out there and with the flashlights, you know, and, and well, actually it was a cell phone light, and, and looking for the little crabbies on the, on the beach, you know. And I mean, we found them. They were a lot of fun, scared the children half to death. Um, had a good time with that, and you know. But I was telling them about that sand. That sand, first of all, that's that's beautiful white sandy beaches down there. It's unlike anything else that you'll find. You know, royal blue water, emerald green water, and uh, just beautiful. But I told them that that sand, every single one of those little pieces of sand is different. If you could pick it up, look at it underneath a microscope, it's just like snowflakes. They're all different. And it's obvious that God loves variety. You think about our fingerprints. God created you to be unique, to be special. And it is only when you find your giftedness in Christ, when you give your life to to God as a living sacrifice, when when, when you don't allow yourself to be conformed to this world, don't be a conformist, be a non-conformist, as far as this world is concerned. And when you give yourself to the Lord... And allow him to transform your mind. It's only then that you find out your unique identity. If you try to be a worldling. And live as the world lives. Then you will not be unique. You will find a group that you fit into. And you'll be just like everybody else in that group. Talk like them. Walk like them. If you look like a duck. And you quack like a duck. And you walk like a duck. You're a duck. Right? But when you get into this God's program for your life. Then you will truly find your unique identity. I love that truth. I love that truth because I spent a lot of my life trying to be like something else or someone else. Because we want to fit in. We want to be accepted, don't we? We we like, yeah, I'm I'm me, I'm my own person. I got my own life, I do my own thing. We like that, but at the same time, We want to belong to something. We want to find our our we. This is is my people. We do this. We stand for this. We believe in this. So we want to identify with a group and be accepted. And we will look for that and find that. And sometimes it's sad to say, but sometimes kids don't find acceptance in the right places. And so they'll look for a place. And it won't be the best place. But they will at least find that acceptance. That group that they belong to. They're looking for that. My mom talked about that as a bartender. She did that for many years. And she said a lot of those people up at the Eagles and up at the, up at the Elks Lodge and down downtown at the hotel and, and, and the bar there, people would come there night after night after night after night after night. You say they're terrible people. Well, don't judge. You know why they came there night after night after night after night? She told me. They're just looking for company. They didn't want to be lonely. They, looked, they were looking for a group that would accept them. Somewhere they could belong. Somebody who knew about them. Knew their story. Was interested. Asked how they were. how things been going? We want that. But the healthy place for it to be is within the church. Amen. And the church ought to provide that. We ought to function in that way. Amen? Amen? Everybody is important. It's not just the ministry that's up in front of everybody else, you know like a teacher or a preacher. That's not Oh, no, everybody's important. So, we're going to look at that this morning, but the whole purpose of gifts, I want you to see this. Would you turn over hold your place there, go to the right to the next book, 1 Corinthians 12. The whole purpose for these gifts is not just that you can be unique and and find your giftedness. There's a reason that we have them. So, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse, let's look at verse 25. Well, let's look at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. And it says here, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. All right, look at verse 7. But the manifestation. Of the Spirit is given to every man, you see, every man. Now that means every woman, okay? It's a generic use of the male uh, gender pronoun, but Paul is always addressing the brethren in his letters because they're spiritual leaders in the church and in the home. Everything rises and falls on leadership. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit himself. Is that what it says? No, with all. So everybody's got a gift, and it's to profit the whole, the church, the body. Alright, then notice in verse number 25. Notice that there. That there, what's the purpose? That there should be no schism, no division in the body. But that the members of the body, you know, the arms, the legs, the, the head... The members should have the same care one for another. So you're given this gift to care for one another so that the body is whole, so that there's no division, so that there's unity, you see. It's care for the body. Uh, We'll get into it. uh, But you see, that's the purpose. All right, back in Romans chapter 12. It's that the body might function harmoniously, and, and we're cautioned by Paul, you know, in this passage, not to emphasize one gift over the other gift, because there can be division if that happens. And that's the, that's the opposite of what the gifts are given for. So there should never be one of us who thinks that we're more important than the other within the body. So why do some people emphasize One gift over another. And they do. They actually emphasize the least of all the gifts. There's 24, if you look at all the three passages that give the list of gifts. They emphasize the least, and they say that actually, if you don't have that gift, you're not saved. And they do that, and they cause division within the body of Christ. That's the theme of my sermon tonight. So if you want to come back and learn about tongues and learn about a heresy that's taught concerning the gift of tongues, Come back tonight. That will be the message. So let's go through these verses. Verse 3 through 8. Just giving the sense. Like Nehemiah did. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 8 says, So then they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense. You see. And caused them to understand the reading. So let's look at verse 3. Just giving the sense. For I say, through the grace given unto me. The grace given to Paul refers to his office as an apostle. Okay? He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was saved by grace. And he was also gifted by grace to be the apostle of the Gentiles. You see. There's saving grace. And there's serving grace. Now... God didn't give this serving grace to Paul alone. He gave it to you. That's right. You have serving grace. You have you have a gift. And, and in this verse, he says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul begins with a warning. He says, first of all, I have this grace. I am an apostle. I'm a sent one. To me is given inspired truth. So he has the authority to say this. He has the authority over the churches in his life and in his ministry. And he begins with a warning. He says, he wants to caution some who were overestimating their gift. To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly then he ought to think, Paul dealt with proud believers like this in Corinth, like I said, and they were emphasizing the gift of tongues, and uh, it was causing division. And they thought that they were superior to others because they had this showy gift. it was a speaking gift. It was one that everybody could see. Everybody could hear, but there were others who had gifts. Nobody sees them. Nobody hears them. They're like the feet. Now, could you say with complete certainty that you know what color of shoes I'm wearing right now? I thought about this morning wearing the opposite color, the color that nobody wears with black. Except these days, it seems like they kind of do. But do you know for sure what color of shoes I'm wearing right now? Yes, because you can't see them. uh, (laughs) You know, you don't know for sure, but you probably assume it's probably black. But you don't look at my feet. You know, I, I didn't know for sure that... Brother Clifford was wearing brown shoes, so I just looked because I haven't looked at his feet all morning. <laughs> but the feet are important. They carry us where we need to go. And man, when you're when you when you're hurt down there, that's no good. They're important. You know, the armies are carried on their feet, you know it's something that's not seen as much, but it's no less important. But they had this gift, and it was one that it was just a flashy, showy gift, and they felt like they were superior to others, and Paul picked up on that spirit, and he says, you're overestimating your gift. So he warns not to do that. I know of a of a church in Ohio. It was a large church doing very well. It was a fundamental, you know, independent a Bible-believing Baptist church, teaching the right thing. They held to the King James Bible. They stood for everything that was right, for soul winning and and, uh, for sanctification, separation from the world. Everything that was right. They had the right stand on music and everything. But within that church, there was a youth pastor. And he thought more highly of himself than he should have thought. And when it came time for that pastor who put his life into building that church and gave everything that he had to it, and God blessed it, and uh, when it came time for him to resign from his pastorate and to call another man to be the preacher, this youth pastor didn't get the call. And he was upset. He thought he should have been the one. He even approached the pastor and said, I've been here for so long and I've done this and that, and I should have gotten a chance at this At this vote, you should have put my name in the hat. And he said, brother, God didn't put you. I don't know what he said exactly, but I know this. God didn't put him on the pastor's heart. God didn't lead the pastor to call him. He led the pastor to call another man. And that youth pastor left with a number of families, a large number of families, like a dozen or more. And went and just went on the other side of town and started another church. Now, folks, that's wrong. That caused division because of a brother overestimating his gift and his importance within the church. Paul said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You know, uh, Paul also said, don't underestimate your gift. You see, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Don't overestimate your gift, but don't underestimate your gift. Your gift is important. So think soberly. Make a sober, sound evaluation of yourself. God dealt to every man the measure of faith. So the thing to do is to make a right estimation of your gift. And we should all be asking ourselves that. What is my gift this morning? What has God enabled me to do? And what does God want me to do? Because this gift will come with an enablement. And it is a calling. It should be treated like that. It's that important. Everyone, how do I serve within the body of the church? And you just need to say, I'm, I'm going to make a sound, sober evaluation. I'm going to look at my life and, and ask myself, What is this that I have? That's true humility. Some people think humility is just like, Oh, I just won't, you know, I won't say anything and nobody will know I'm there. And, I won't make a big deal. I don't want to be like one of those ones that's like overestimating my gift and got to be up there and everybody sees me and everybody hears me. I'll just be, you know, I'll just be the one off in the, off in the corner and it's the wallflower and everything like that. No, that's not humility. That's like a complex or something. Humility is saying, what do I actually have? What can I actually do? How has God gifted me? And then, how can I use that? And I'm going to acknowledge that I have that. And I'm even going to ask other people, do you think I'm gifted in this way? To kind of confirm it, you know? I know that as a preacher, I know that I have a gifting that leans more towards teaching than preaching. Now, I I, I preach, but I have more of that gift of teaching. There are other preachers who have more of a gift in the area of evangelism. And uh, some of them are more of a gift in the area of exhortation, and they're not as strong in the area of teaching. I just make a sound, sober evaluation of who I am, and uh, that's how the Lord has gifted me. You know, And I'm going to tell you this, it's taken a lot of work to get any good at teaching. You just asked Beth about the first time she ever heard me teach uh, in the youth group. Uh, I was teaching in the Gospel of John. And she heard it, and she, went, oh boy, this is kind of rough to sit through, man. And you know, she's thinking, uh, probably started praying for me a lot more. But she thought, maybe you're not real gifted in teaching. Maybe you should just preach. She said that to me one time. But uh, I've put a lot of hard work into developing uh, what it is that I do, and and so it's it's not pride to just acknowledge what God has given you. Pride is really that overestimating of your gift. And I'll say this: pride is the enemy. Enemy of unity. People having ambition, thinking that they ought to get more of the spotlight or whatever. They ought to be rec- yeah, they're envious of somebody else's gift. There's another one: being envious that somebody else can do something and they can't. Or, or I'm not getting the recognition I deserve. You know, somebody donates an organ to the church and they think I should have my name. And, 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 and on a on a plaque right on the side of it and whatever it's called when they cut that into the plaque I should have my name there and be recognized for my contribution to this church no you shouldn't you should give your offering and the general offering just like everybody does not needing to be seen or recognized by anybody God sees it amen, amen. we don't need to parade you around here this isn't the Sunday morning parade uh, just give to the lord whatever he lays on your heart to give be a blessing to the church you know so paul he begins with a warning he he wants to straighten out people's thinking instead of a, a, a crooked thinking that that uh, says that i should uh, you know have more recognition or i'm envious of somebody else have a sober straight kind of a thinking about God has dealt to every man, the end of verse 3, every man. That means I have a gift and I have this measure of faith. Measure of faith. What does that mean? Well, God, uh, you know, he, he, he deals out to you a portion, a measure. Uh, I was listening to the uh, instructions on how to make beef gravy the other morning. I want to know how to make good beef gravy. I like, this is weird, it might sound weird to you, I like jasmine rice, beef gravy, and hot sauce. That's like my, one of my favorite meals. Lasagna is the favorite. That's maybe, and the reason why is because when my brother and his family uh, were younger and his kids were just little, they didn't have a whole lot of money, and every time I stopped by to see my brother, it seems like he made that meal, and I loved it. I just couldn't get enough of it. It's probably not real good for you, but I like it. And I want to know how to make beef gravy. I'm kind of getting into cooking a little bit. And uh, somebody was telling me how to make beef gravy. And you have to have a certain measure of flour in there. Four or five tablespoons is what I was told. A flour. That's a measure. You see, God has given to you a measure of faith. This isn't saving faith. This is serving faith. And we all have a measure. You see, some have more than others. If you want to look at it this, at that way, but that's not the right way to look at it. But you should just say, what's my measure of faith? Now Ephesians 4.7 says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Colossians 2.6 As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord this morning? If you're saved, how did you receive Him? By religion and works? No. I heard somebody say it. By faith. You received Him by faith. So, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. In other words, walk by faith. Walk by faith. That's your whole life. So how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. How do we serve we serve by grace through faith. God's grace is His gifting, His enabling to you. And you have this ability, and He will develop it, and He will show you where to use it, and how to use it, and if you are really searching for that, and seeking for that, by grace through faith. And then you just believe, God, I believe you're going to use this. I believe you've gifted me, and I believe that you'll show me where and how to use it. And I, and I trust that you will bless my my little efforts. You know... Uh, Paul is, is, has been saying... Don't be envious of another person's gift. And the reason why he says this... Is because gifts are sovereignly given. We can see that in the next two verses. Verses 4 and 5. Gifts are sovereignly given. For as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office. In other words... Paul is using this one-body analogy. He uses this in other places. He says that the, all of the saved, all of the redeemed are like a body. And God places you in the body where He wants you to be. He might want you to be in the hand. Be in the hands of Jesus. He might want you to be in the feet. Being the feet of Jesus. He might want you to be in the head, in the eye, in the mouth. Having a speaking gift. He might want you to be in the heart, you know, having more of, of a compassionate leaning and inclination. Uh, he might want you to be in the mind, making uh, you know, decisions and leadership and so on within the church. But he puts you in the body where he wants you to be. And as I said, some of those are more visible. Some of those are less visible. But they're all important. And he puts you there, so we ought to be happy with where he put us. It's sovereignly given. We're part of this living organism of the one body. And uh, all members have not the same office. We don't all have the same function within the body. But this would would tell us that if we think that uh, church is something else than what I've just described here, we have a wrong notion. Some people just go in and out of fellowship with the church like it's no big deal. Like I don't need to have a relationship with my local church. They just come and they go. And you never know when they're going to be here. If I'm stepping on toes, I'm sorry, but I'm going to preach this anyhow. This is not good for the body. Just coming and going. And they go out. And yes, they serve the Lord and they do their own things. And I'm not saying that you should stop doing that. Keep doing that. But contribute to the body, because that's what your gift is for. For the unity of the body, for the care of the body, for for the ministry of the body, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're supposed to serve through a local church. There's nothing in this New Testament about this lone wolf kind of a mentality, but... Today, this is so prominent. Everybody wants to be such an individual, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, and I don't have to listen to anybody, and I don't care what anybody thinks. That attitude is not in the New Testament. That's not a gospel attitude. That's out of step with the whole tone of the New Testament. We're part of a family. There are those who just feel no obligation to the weekly, monthly, yearly life of the church or the ministries of the church. And those who do feel the obligation get involved. Now it's sad, but I've heard it when I first got into the ministry, and, I, and it's and it's proven true in every church that I've ever been in. You know, they talk about ten percent of the people doing the work of the church, and ninety percent of the people benefit. And now we want the ninety percent of the people to benefit. But there has to come a time where you grow and you stop just being a receiver and you start being a giver. And it ought not to be that way. If everybody was caring for the church in the way that they should, the body would function the way that it should. Now, not everybody is, is meant to be in the nursery. But some are. Some are. And that's a my, that's a necessary ministry. We want mothers who have been caring for their children all week long to be able to come in here, have someone else care for their children while they are fed and blessed by the ministry of the Word. I know some churches who do not do a good job at that and I know of women, I've heard their testimonies as they talk to my wife, and they say, I looked at that church that you recommended, but I can't go there because they don't have a ministry for the children. And they, and, and this, this particular woman I'm thinking of said, I would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, but they only have care for the children during Sunday school. They don't have anything during Sunday evening or on Wednesday night. And so a mom can't sit there with her kids beside her and concentrate. That's very hard to do. There are those rare children that know how to mind their manners and behave in church. But you understand what I'm saying. It's a ministry to the mothers of this church when you do that. Now, I like, I like family church. I'd like everybody just to be in here, kids and everybody. But that's just not going to work in every case. And that's just the truth of it. You see, we're given this gift to be a part of this living organism. And each member should benefit the whole I heard somebody say just recently, I don't care what others think. Meaning, I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's the way that they lived. And this person is no longer in church. They're no longer serving the Lord. You see, that kind of attitude carried them right out. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ. And everyone members one of another. Did you notice one body in verse 4? Verse 5, one body. Yes, we're individual. Yes, we're unique in our gifting. But we should have this mentality, I am part of a body. I am members. I am a member of the body, one of another. This is not the church role. This is not the church membership. I'm not talking about that. We have a list of people who's church members and so on. That's not this. This is 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. When you get saved, you're baptized into the body of Christ. A place where God wants you with the gifting that He wants to give to you. Amen. You know, uh, should the foot envy the hand or the ear, the eye? Is it right for us if we do get busy serving the Lord? You know, the whole time we're serving and doing something for the Lord, we're thinking in our minds, we're thinking evil of our brothers and sisters. Ill will is what it is. It's malice is what it is. The whole time we're working, well, where's so and so? They should be here. I shouldn't be all this. And I, there's only a couple of us here. And if there weren't, you know, if there were more, then, uh, then we wouldn't be having such a hard time. And if everybody would get involved and so on. Now, I, I'm, I've been doing this ministry for years, and nobody else will step up. Nobody else will take this ministry. Should we be thinking like that when we're serving the Lord? No. No, we shouldn't. And if that's how you're feeling about it, maybe you should take a break from it. Maybe you should take a break from that particular ministry because that's not good for you and that's not good for anybody else. You see, the Lord doesn't force anybody to do anything. And neither do I. You see, I might come up to you one-on-one and ask if you would like to help out in this thing or that thing, but I don't even do that a lot. You know why? Because in the Bible, whenever there was a need... There was just a general announcement about it. This is the need. If you have the ability to help, would you please help with this in one way or another? And then everybody came forward at, with a willing heart Amen. as God put it on their heart to do it. And if they didn't come, they didn't come. But when that happened in the Bible, there was usually an abundance. you know. And if, there's, if we don't see that today, that's because of the spirit of the age and because of the selfishness of our own hearts, and we should, we should check ourselves about that. But I'm not going to make anybody do anything. Because that's not the way it works. Do I have to make my right hand do what it's supposed to do? You know, you get over here, you do this, you do, do that. No, I don't. Have you ever had a fight between your right hand and your left hand? If you did, you're in trouble. You need to go to see the doctor. I've never had a fight between my right hand and my left hand. They just help each other out. Whatever I'm doing. That's the way it's supposed to work, you see. And if others don't want to get involved, I just have to say, well, maybe they'll grow in that area. But I'm not going to think bad about you. I just don't want to do that. And if you start, you say, I I do that sometimes. I start serving the Lord, you know, and, and I do that. And I know I shouldn't. When that happens... What I would say is just pray for them because it's hard to be upset with somebody that you're praying for. Just just stop right there and go to prayer for them. Say, Lord, I've been thinking ill of my brother and my sister in Christ and I don't know exactly everything that's going on in their life and so on. And I'm thankful that you even give me the ability to be able to serve you. I'm thankful I even have life today and breath. I was able, able to even get up out of bed, Lord. I'm thankful that I have taste buds and I'm able to enjoy a good meal and able to take uh, nourishment and, and I'm thankful, Lord, that you saved my wretched soul from going to hell. Amen. Anything else is just Icing on the cake. Just gravy on the jasmine rice. Just the good stuff. You know, Lord help me to get out of the dumps. Because I'm no good like that. You know? That's no good for you. And just start praying for that person. Telling the Lord all the reasons you're thankful for that person. How about that? You know every man has a gift. That means there are no unnecessary people. No unnecessary gifts. Alright, now we're just going to look briefly at these seven gifts. I didn't prepare a whole lot to say about them. I wanted to stir you up. I wanted to, this morning, exhort you to take this seriously. To be a part of the body life. Why don't you exhort exhort you? That's really, to be a living sacrifice. That was the point of the message. But we need to understand these gifts as we think about, uh, what gift do I have? What has God enabled me to do? So in verse 6, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us. You see, this is serving grace. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Alright, these are for service. Um, I don't think you'll know what your gift is. As you look at these, there's seven gifts. I don't think you'll know what it is unless you've done what verses 1 and 2 says. So when you've done what verses 1 and 2 says, and when you're serious about your commitment to the Lord, then I believe the Lord will show you, and we, we can pray and say, Lord, what is my gift? But we're never told to seek for a gift. That is, ask for a gift that you don't have. We're never told to do that. Alright, prophecy, that's in the sense of speaking by inspiration. And that's no longer operational. As far as the, the, the prophet, that's the only one out of these seven gifts that is not operational today. They were given inspired truth to speak to the church before the New Testament was completed. Jesus said to the apostles, he said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and he will guide you into all truth, right? They received all the truth and they put it down in the scriptures, in the Bible. The apostles, they, they uh, authorized the truth taught in the churches, they confirmed it, they wrote it down. And after the, the New Testament was given, the ministry of the prophet was not Necessary. A prophet is somebody who predicts the future, foretells the future, and speaks inspired truth. But, it's not a sign gift. The sign gifts are inoperable. This is not a sign gift. And so in the sense of it being like a gift that a preacher has, not foretelling, telling the future, but foretelling, telling the truth, speaking God's truth. In that sense... That gift is still operational. Preachers do this when they speak to God's people in order to build them up. The Bible says, we won't look at it, 1 Corinthians 14, 3 and 31, that the purpose of this gift is to build people up, not tear people down. To comfort people and to move them to action. That's the purpose of that that gift. So... The spiritual office of the prophet has died out. If you want to see that, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. The, the church is like a building, Paul said. The foundation were, were the apostles and the prophets. Okay, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Back in those days, a cornerstone meant everything. It set the direction for the building. Everything was built around the cornerstone. Today, it's just basically there for show. But the foundation were the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2, 20-22. And then on top of that foundation are all of us, the living stones, believers. Now a, body, a building is not made out of an entire foundation. The foundation goes at the bottom, and on top of it are years of people getting saved, making this building. And where I think we are today, I think God is finishing up the roof. And I think we're about done. Now, the apostles and prophets are on the foundation. Once the church was started, their office, their gift was no longer necessary. There are no apostles today. Did you notice that when James died in the book of Acts, he wasn't replaced? Did you notice that? I wonder if you saw that. He wasn't replaced because there was no need to replace him. There was no need for more apostles. They had their ministry. They had their time. Now, the second gift is ministering. Prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And since that's directed mainly at preachers, I'm not going to elaborate on that, but seven says our ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. This is service. That's what that word means. And the word for deacon is used here. Now, a deacon definitely has this gift. And uh, this gift is given to, to help. You know the, the people in the church who have this gift, they help so that the pastor doesn't have to be involved doing everything. A pastor is supposed to give himself to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Deacons exist to help take other things off of the pastor so that he can give himself to those two primary things. The ministry of the Word includes visiting people when they're sick or counseling with people when they're away from the fellowship and so on. But the deacon is a service job. He definitely has that gift. And there are other people in the church that are gifted with the ministry gift. Isn't that wonderful to hear about Adam? There are other people who can do that and serve. And there are a lot of people in this church that do that. That serve. But I want you to notice that this gift is never ungifted. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says, For the gifts and calling of God are without... Repentance. That means when you get a gift, you're never ungifted. When you're called, especially into an office like a deacon or a pastor, you're never uncalled. That's why I don't believe in just two-year deacon terms or or two-year, five-year, seven-year pastor terms. Uh, I don't believe in that. No, the ministry, you're, you're, you're a deacon for life. And if you're gifted with the ministry gift... You have that gift for life. And you should say, I'm going to take my life and I'm going to serve and do as much as I can until my body gives out. Until I have no breath left in me. There are people who think, I've done my share. I've spent my time serving the Lord. Yeah, but there's only so many people in the church who are really gifted in this area. And did you notice that it's, it's put up there Ahead of teaching. Did you notice that? When the apostles make a list, they put the things that are the most important at the top. Did you notice that ministering comes before teaching? Teaching is what a pastor does. You know why that's so? I believe that that's so because more people have the gift of ministry than having the gift of teaching. There are more in the church, you see. And it's more important In that sense, you see. So you think, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I'm not the one standing up in front of everybody every Sunday morning, so I must not be that important. Not according to the Apostle Paul. You are important. You know, when when somebody goes to minister and serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus, when they go to deliver... Like a casserole or to go to be a blessing to a sister that's really going through a trial. My, that's important. Amen. Or when you come in and, you know, and you seek to, to be a blessing around here, cleaning and making sure everything's ready for the next service, that's important. Do you realize what this building would look like in just five to, maybe just five years? If we didn't do anything, you know what it would look like? Give it Ten years? You ever seen an old church building that people just let go of and stop doing anything to? That's important. People have a place to come into. You know, these things are the ministry and the nursery, like I said. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Teaching is the next one. Now, this involves explaining what God has revealed, and it's different from prophecy. Prophecy is just a foretelling of truth. But a teacher is, is, is gifted in explaining because people understand what does that mean? How does that apply? That's where a teacher comes in. And this certainly involves the preaching and the pastoring of the church, but this also involves the teaching in Sunday school. And there are people out here that I'm looking at, and you're looking at me with your God-given eyeballs, as Brother George Griffiths would say, and you are gifted at teaching. Are you using it? Are you using it? Come on now. We have a dear sister that's been with us for quite a while. Her name's Rachel. She has a gift for teaching. She's gone out to a prison and uh, nothing but women in there. And she's teaching as women once a month because she has a gift for teaching. Some of you are really good with kids and you should be teaching kids. But you say, I did that. I served. I did my time. I'm not, I'm not so sure that the Lord would feel that way about it. Now, you know what I know? Our little church can't do everything that a big church can do. We can't have all the ministries that a big church has. We just can't. But what we can do, we ought to do. And we shouldn't make ourselves feel bad about what we can't do. But I think every church can have a good, functioning Sunday school for the children of our church. Teaching. Boy, what a wonderful gift that is. Exhortation. This deals with the mind. Our teaching deals with the mind. Exhortation deals with the will. Okay? You're teaching. You're you're informing somebody's mind. But an exhorter is good at moving the will. Brother Randy teaches Sunday school. And you know what? I've been watching him and listening to him since I've been here. And that guy is gifted in exhortation. He's got that gift. He wants to... Move people to do something. Move people to action for God. He's a good exhorter. I think that's the strength of His gift. And it means to come alongside somebody and to help them, to lead them in the way that they ought to go. And it's not just... it's It's a vocal gift, but it's not just the preacher or the Sunday school teacher. You see, you might have the gift of exhortation. You might be one of those people. You can come alongside somebody else and you can encourage them... You can comfort them. You you can lead them in the way that God has called them to go. You know, uh, some people really have a hard time with that. They think, "Well, I'm no good, or or I can't do this, or I can't do that." And you could you could say, "You know what? I'm looking at you, and I can see how God has gifted you." You know, exhorters are good at that, and they're also good at reproving. But that doesn't mean just because you have the gift of exhortation that you can go around telling everybody off. But occasionally there are times when you need to just go up to somebody. And reprove them. That's a soft correction. Okay? And, and you know what? I'm going to be done. You guys are thinking he's going to go forever this morning. I'm not rushing this morning. But you know what? Churches, good churches like this one, have gone down the tubes... They, they let go of the good doctrine that they held. They let go of the right Bible version. They let go of the right standards and this thing or that thing. Standards of separation. Standing for the right thing. And they have gone down the tubes. And why is that? I'll tell you. It's because God's people, especially the ones who have the gift of exhortation, will not stand up and say, that is wrong. We will not allow that to happen in our church. You see? Churches have uh, just gone to pot, as my mom used to say. Excuse me for the illustration, but it's sick. Jesus uh, talked about when you go lukewarm, He said, you make me sick. Vomit you out of my mouth. You know? Why did that happen? Well, I think it's because people in the church don't realize they have these gifts, have the exhortation, and have the ability to be able to stand up and say, you know, you have a young preacher come in here and he starts teaching one thing or another. You ought to stand up and say, that's not right. And that's not the direction that our church is going to go. And that's not what we have in our statement of faith. And that's not what you agreed to when you took this pastorate. You know, it ought to to happen, you know. But you have to, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be an exhorter, I'm going to say this, you've got to lead by example. You can't just be Sunday morning Christian coming every once in a while. Mm -mm, No. Say, Pastor, I got this gift of exhortation and I'd like to use it. I'm going to say, you're not leading by example. Because if you're going to open up your mouth and speak on behalf of the Lord and and do that, your life needs to match your lips. You ought to be faithful to the church's programs. You know? You ought to be... You know, do you give regularly to the Lord's work? Do you pray for the Lord's work? Are you setting the right example and standards? And so on and so forth. To be a, the one who's using this gift of exhortation, you see? If not, then wait. Wait on using your gift. And start putting the priorities in your life where they ought to be. He that teacheth on teaching. You see, you have exhortation, you have teaching, you have ministering. He that giveth. Just briefly on giving. If you give, give without any personal motive. Don't give with a sense that I need recognition for what I'm giving. Some people are particularly gifted at making money. And some people are very generous. Have you ever heard, like around fall or so, one of these radio programs, and they say, we have a generous donor, and they have given so much money. They've given $10,000, or they've given $100,000. And they have said that if you will call in with your gift of $50 or $100, they will match your gift. So your $50 will be $100. They're able to do that because somebody had the gift of giving and, and they, they usually will say, I don't want you to tell who I am. So they'll just say, some anonymous, generous donor has given this gift. That's the right spirit. That's the right attitude. And, uh, and I'll say this, if you don't have anything to give, come to church anyway. I don't see any, anything in the Bible that says that we have to give every Sunday. It just says every Sunday you lay aside what you have in store and then give according to how God has prospered you. But you don't have to give every Sunday. So don't be looking around expecting your brother or sister to put something in that plate every time it goes by. And don't feel bad. But if you've got this gift, use it and give cheerfully and just simply put it in the general offering. You know? Not needing any recognition for it. Leadership. There's a gift there. Uh... Give with simplicity, don't make a big deal out of it, a big show, just be, just uh, do it simply. But uh, he that ruleth, you see, if you're going to be a leader, rule with diligence. And that is the right word, and simplicity was the right word, by the way. But uh, a leader, the temptation for a leader is just to sit back and watch others do the work, because they're good at organizing, They're good at leading things. Now, I'm going to pick on somebody here, and I didn't tell her ahead of time, and if she gets mad at me, I'll apologize afterwards. Amen. But uh, we have a certain lady who does the shoebox ministry. She leads that. She heads that up, and she's good at it. But you know what I know about her? She doesn't just say, you do this, and you bring that over here, and we're going to do this at this time, we're going to meet here, and I need you to bring this food, and so on and so forth. She doesn't just lead it. She does that really well, but she's also hands-on. And a leader should be a servant leader. If you're going to lead, hey man, roll up your sleeves and get in there and work right along with the rest of the helpers that are helping in there who have the gift of ministry. But some people have this gift of leading and you say, how do I know if I have that gift? Because other people follow you. If people don't follow you, you're not a leader. It's just that simple. You're the person that when something is going on, they kind of look at you like, what should we do? (laughs) They don't want it, but they want somebody to step up. Somebody has to lead, and you're the person they look at. That's how you might know that you have that that gift. And a leader should run a tight ship, you know? They ought to take their, their ministry seriously. You ought to make sure that your house is in order, so to speak. You know, Jesus, He did this during His ministry. If you notice, when you study the Gospels, Jesus had a plan. He knew, today I need to go do this. He knew tomorrow I was going to be going and doing this. He knew when His disciples were tired and they needed a rest, did He not? He had a plan. Jesus was a leader. He exemplifies all of these gifts perfectly during His earthly ministry. You could really use these seven gifts and study the life and ministry of Christ. The last one is mercy. There are some who are particularly gifted at visiting others on a bed of sickness... Or in a time of grief and loss. They're just good at it. Uh, There's other people who are not. And you really wouldn't want them visiting you when you get sick. But there are those people, they're just comforting. They're just sweet. They're just a blessing. They just brighten up the room. And they have this gift of mercy... They can visit you in a time of grief and they won't they won't hurt you or say something that was thoughtless. They have this gift of mercy and they're suited to minister to the sick, the needy, the poor, the grieving. And, you know, if you're going to do this, Paul says, if you're going to serve and show mercy, how are you supposed to do it at the end of verse eight? With cheerfulness, have a cheerful attitude that's essential, isn't it? Um, I, I, I know of people here that I would say, I think you have this gift. I'm not going to embarrass you and say it. But um, you, you want to be cheerful. Uh, you, if you're going to go visit somebody in the hospital, you shouldn't start complaining about your own problems. You know, about your own woes. If you're going to visit somebody on a bed of sickness, well, don't go there and be critical about the hospital <laughs> to them. Give them some more to complain about. Because usually people, when they're sick and they don't feel well, they're grouchy and they complain and so on. And uh, that's understandable. But you don't want to go there and, and you don't want to gossip about church affairs when you're with that person. That's not a blessing. Listen, if you know something about somebody in this church that I don't know, and if I don't really need to know it, please don't tell me. I just want to think well of you. You know? I don't want anybody casting shade on you. So don't go and gossip about the church when you're visiting with this person just because that's what you have in, in, in common. And listen, if I just described you, if you're kind of like, you have the poochy lip disease and you're kind of down in the mouth all the time. Whatever you do, stay out of that ministry. <laughs> don't go in that ministry. But if you're gifted, you know it. You know it. You've lived long enough. You know how to talk to people. Well, use it. Use it. Now, some of of our folks that have been in church all their lives, I know you do use this gift. But there's some, maybe you're newer to the church, and you might have this gift. You say, well, I don't have any life experiences. I don't have this or that. I haven't gone through this thing or that thing. You don't have to go through everything that the person's gone through that's laying in that bed. You just have to have this gift. And if you do, you might be surprised to see how the Lord would use you In this way. I've known even kids to be a blessing. In this way. Maybe you have a really nice dog. I mean this dog is just sweet. And everybody loves this dog. You might be really good to go into a nursing home. And visit people with that little. That little bundle of fur. Right? You might have a gift of music. Or one thing or another. And you could really be a blessing in a nursing home. You know. Uh. Anyways, we'll move on. Some have said that these seven gifts, they cover every area of the modern day church activity. I don't know if that's true. But I do know this, that God has given these gifts. And you are a recipient of one or more of them. And in order to find out what those gifts are, you have to present your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. You know, this morning... You know what I'm doing this morning? I'm following the advice of some people in the church. And they said, uh, you always cut it off. You cut the service short at like right at an hour. And I do that a lot, don't I? You cut it off at an hour. If we come on Sunday night, we know it's going to be an hour. If we come on Wednesday night, it's going to be an hour. And you stop. Usually when it's getting good, you stop. Well, this morning I didn't stop. All right. Now, don't stop coming to church because I didn't stop this morning. I don't do that every Sunday morning, but it was important what I had to say, wasn't it? Amen. This was good teaching for our church. We needed it. Alright, so now this is how you should respond. You, you go to the Lord and get serious with Him and get alone with Him. Lord, I'm presenting my body to You as a living sacrifice to serve You, holy, acceptable unto You. I'm going to make my life holy and uh, the best that I can and follow in Your Word. And Lord, how am I gifted? And don't be a used to Christian. I used to do this, I used to do that. Don't do that. Say, Lord, how can I serve you now in the body to benefit, to contribute to the life of the church and the ministry of the church? Jesus said, work, for the night is coming when no man can work. You see, I'm a teacher. I have to explain what the night means. I can't just leave it right there. The night means your death, the end of your life. Life's little day will soon be o'er. And then we go to meet our reward. Life is short. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's stand on our feet, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Just praying before the Lord. Say, Lord, would you show me how I'm gifted? I might have several of these gifts.